as I bring kind of the teachings that we've gone through, really the course of this year, because um, I, I count the church here September to August, so teachings from September to May. Now, we've talked a little bit about things we believe, about what it means to be Baptist, and every so often there's things in life that are controversial, people understand. Uh, in Baptist life right now, I think probably one of those things that people get confused about and concerned about, something I had to deal with all my ministry, is this idea of election or predestination or whatever you want to call it. It's that idea. And so what I want you to do is I want you to wipe your minds clean, just have a blank mind, which for some of you is not going to take a lot of effort. (laughs) Get rid of all your preconceived notions. There's a lot of passages, but we're going to come to the book of Ephesians. We're going to start in the second chapter, and I'm going to come with the first chapter. Chapter, And I'm going to help you try to understand not what people teach in their systems. There's all types of systems. I know. I understand all that. All the systematic theologies and all that. At the end of the day, one of the things that I have learned in life is that sometimes we just need to see what the Scripture says, the New Testament says. And probably, if we'll just let, in this case, Paul, the Holy Spirit's using Paul, tell us what we need to know, be okay. And the most important thing is you should never worry about what scripture teaches it should never bother you you should be okay with it you know it's bothered me occasionally because it made me change what i thought and what i believed and or how i believed it sometimes i had to change that that's on me but i always want to be where god is i saw that you never want to disagree with jesus you never want to disagree with paul don't ever get in an argument with paul you'll always lose And let's understand what they say. So chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, Paul says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were were dead. Not physically dead, spiritually you're dead. Sin separates us from God and spiritually we're dead. What did God tell Adam back in the Garden of Eden? If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. Well, he didn't physically die immediately. But he spiritually died immediately. It broke his relationship with God. Eventually, he physically died. Now, back in the garden, God gave Adam a precious gift called freedom, which all of us have. By being created in the image of God, we automatically have freedom, the freedom to make moral choices. And we take that freedom every time. At some point, we use it to sin against God. Now, little, all the little, little rascals out there in, in, in the, the Awana stuff, you know, they're, they're, they, they may do wrong things. They may disobey their mom. They may be born with original sin. I get all that. But, but they don't really understand morally the difference between right from wrong. They're just trying for independence. They're doing what's in their nature. So while they do wrong things, we don't really consider a six, seven, eight-year-old nine-year-old sinning yet. So we, 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 we understand that. But we do, we see the tendency to sin, don't we? I mean, a, a two-year-old, one-year-old even, a two-year-old, three-year-old, they, they show you that nature of sinning. But for them, it's not a moral choice. It's, it's, it's not the ability to reject God. And so we understand they have that nature within them. But we also understand a loving, merciful, gracious God doesn't hold it against them at that age. There needs to be a point we call the age of accountability, which is never even mentioned in Scripture, but that point where we're held accountable. But certainly, when Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, he's writing to Christians. He says once, as pagans, you were dead. And when you're dead, that means there's nothing alive. Dead people can do nothing. They're just dead. 
He went on to say, and you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, a world in opposition to God, according to the prince of the power of the air, that would be Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He describes a completely evil, rebellious picture. You know, the prince of the power of the air, sons of disobedience, uh, the course of this world. Um, He said in verse 3, we too all formerly lived. Paul said, I was there with you. In the lust of the flesh, indulgence of the desires of the flesh, and the mind, we were children of wrath, even as the rest. We were children of the wrath of God. We deserved the wrath, the judgment of God. Why? Because we preached completely and totally sinned against God. We chose that path. No one falls into lust. No one stumbles into rebellion. No one accidentally sins against God. You make that choice. He said, verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, because of his Great love with which he loved us. The great love of God with which he loved us. Even when we, notice, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us to life together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now notice what he says. How do we who were dead come back to life? Spiritually speaking, it was God. You and I had nothing to do with it. How could? We're dead. Remember when Jesus raised dead people back to life? What part did they play? None, except they supplied the corpse. That's it. Lazarus. Dead. He had no part in it. Paul, listen, Paul knows what he's talking about. Paul says, you were dead, and who brought you back to life? God. He did that. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. God brought us back to spiritual life. Why? Because of his grace. His unbelievable grace. He said, we're alive together. Those who are alive, we're alive together. And he says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places to Christ Jesus. He's not saying, that's not about the second coming. We're not there yet. He's saying right now, we've been raised up, spiritually raised up. And so that we're already, in essence, assured a place with Christ. Verse 7 says, so that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 8, 9, and 10 comes the pivotal verses that we often use as Baptists. We love, I love this verse. All my, this is one of the first verses I ever learned. learned. It's a good preaching verse. Verse 8 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of yourself are you saved. The gift of God. So we'll break that down a little bit. It says you're saved by grace. So the first thing we need to know is By grace alone are we saved. When the Reformation occurred, Martin Luther in 1517, and then Calvin who followed, and and Knox who followed, and Zwingli, who in many ways was a forerunner of all Baptists in in Zwingli, they had rebelled against the Roman system that says you were saved by works. See, the Romans would say back then, you're saved by grace, but you get grace through the sacraments. Roman Catholicism, some of you come out of Catholic background, you're sacramental and sacerdotal. Sacramental means you have to receive grace by sacraments. It is the sacraments that give you grace. Baptism, uh, uh, the Eucharist, marriage, uh, death, uh, you know, uh, when you repent or you confess, the penance you do. Those are means of receiving grace. There are works to receive grace. Well, we say, you, know, I say, you don't receive grace by works. So the reformers would say, the early church would say, the reformation would say, it is by grace alone you're saved. Solo gratia, grace alone. Nothing else saves you. No work saves you. We all agree with that. 
He says, so by grace are you saved. And the word saved is important because the word saved speaks of being rescued. Your life is in what we would say, I learned imminent danger. It's what the word, the word to save so so means to be saved out of imminent danger. It's, fact, it's, it's something you can't do yourself. In the classic picture, there's two classic illustrations or, or analogies of that. One is to be lost at sea. You're, you're out in the Mediterranean Sea and your ship for some reason fell apart because of the storms and you're holding on in the middle of the ocean and you're going to die unless someone rescues you. You can't save yourself. You could die of hypothermia. You could die of the elements. You could simply drown. You're going to die. There's nothing you can do to save yourself unless someone saves you. So so. The other depicts someone who is ill, deathly ill. There's nothing they can do unless somebody can come and give them some sort of treatment to bring them and give them life. That's what that word means. We are rescued. Nothing we can do. We're spiritually dead. We're only by the grace of God. The grace of God is the means of salvation. Excuse me, the instrument of salvation. The instrument that process, that, that instrument of salvation, that means of salvation, is grace. But he says you're saved by grace, though, through faith. Faith becomes a part of it. And so Luther and Calvin and the early church reformers would say, not only are you saved by grace alone, you're saved by faith alone. In fact, it is the idea of being saved by faith that completely turned Luther around. He realized it is faith and only faith that saves you. That word faith means complete trust and confidence in God. It is basically to give your life over. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is that instrument of salvation. Faith is the means by which that grace is materializes or becomes real in your life. It's the way, it's the way that grace is manifested through faith. That saves you. That is salvation, grace and faith. Paul says, this not of yourself. None of this is of you. None of this is what Paul says. None of this is of you. The grace isn't of you. The faith isn't of you because salvation is not of you. Salvation is only by God. And then he goes on to say, this then, he says, is the gift of God. It is what God gives you. What is the gift of God? Salvation is God's gift. Salvation is never earned. We all, we all, that's the fundamental Baptist doctrine. Can't earn your salvation. We all understand that. Can't earn it. It's given. But here is the problem that we run into sometimes. The problem we run into is that in our desire sometimes as Baptists to be sure that we're not Presbyterian, <laughs> we start misunderstanding faith. And I can't know how many times in growing up I heard preachers say, God supplies the grace and we supply the faith. You ever heard that? That's a false teaching. Because we don't supply the faith. How can we supply the faith? We're spiritually dead. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say we supply the faith. In fact, Paul says just the opposite. Faith and grace are, 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 are salvation. That is the gift of God. You have no part of it. You know why you have no part of it, he says? It's simple. In verse 9, we don't know. It's not as a result of worse so that no one can boast. How can you boast of something you haven't done? And here's what happens. We get, we get so caught up. We get so worried about whether or not we're going to violate our freedom that we, we tend to run away from understanding that faith is God's gift to us. I'm going to talk more about predestination in just a few moments. Listen, <laughs> faith, the faith I have, God gave it to me because I can't come up with faith. 
I'm living in rebellion against God. I'm walking in the former ways. I'm spiritually dead. How am I going to come up with faith? Where does it ever say in Scripture? Show me where Jesus says. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Your faith has saved you. He didn't ever say, hey, you came up with that faith. In fact, one time a guy said, Jesus said, you need to believe. And he says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I don't have enough. You've got to help me. And all the apostles, when they write, they don't say, hey, you've got to come up with faith somehow. They always say, it's God. They say, exercise it. Use it. Take advantage of it. You, you have the freedom to not exercise faith. Yeah. How many times are there people here who were lost and I give an invitation? And by the grace of God, they have the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. God says, here's the opportunity to exercise faith. And they say, oh, I'm not going to do it. They live in rebellion. But the faith they exercise that day isn't theirs. And here's the thing. Once they walk away, there's no guarantee they're going to do it again. I say it quite often. You don't know that God's ever going to give you another chance because you don't get to come up with a chance. God does. That's what it says. Now, verse 10 says, We were his workmanship, prepared to good word works, which he prepared before the creation. From the beginning of time, he prepared those who are followers of Jesus to do good works. We are saved by grace through faith. That salvation process is totally the gift of God. I get no credit. I don't even get credit for having faith. I don't get to say, yeah, I exercised faith, but my friend Joe, he didn't. I don't get to say that. Why would I? All I know is this. God gave me something I didn't have. Gave me faith. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 3 he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us in Christ. In Christ is important. It means through Jesus. It is that avenue. It is that, that road, that way is in Jesus. Verse 4 says this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Two words, chose, which is election, and predestination. So notice what it says. He chose us. We didn't choose him. God chose us in Christ, in him. Before the foundation of the world. Now sometimes I hear this. What it means to be chosen in Christ means this. That God chooses those who choose Jesus. It's not what it said. That's still a work then. If I chose Jesus. I had something to do with my salvation. If God says here's the criteria for which you may be saved. Choose Jesus. It's up to me. To be saved. He didn't say that. He said, I chose you. The word chose, the word election, means to pick, to grab, to mark out. The other word he uses, predestination, or predestination is synonymous, really. It means to mark out beforehand, to carve out. Paul says, before the world was created, he decided who he would call to salvation. And those are the elect. 
predestined for salvation. Now, our problem is we think that means that then God chose some to be saved and some to be lost so that it was an unfair fight and some people didn't have a chance. That's not what that's. He never says that. He never says he chose some to be lost forever. We all rebelled against God. We made that decision. When God created the world, he created a world that he knew would rebel against him. Well, why would he create it? Because he created a world where some would come to faith. He gave everyone the freedom to not rebel against him. And everyone eventually chooses to sin. We made that decision. We chose that. So God has chosen by his grace to offer faith. And some will exercise that faith. And some never will. But they didn't make the choice to be saved. God made the choice. They may have chosen to rebel. They may have chosen to reject God. But they didn't choose to get God. He made that choice before the world was created. He made that choice. Now think about it. Go back to the Old Testament. The world was in sin. Adam and Eve sinned. The world was in sin for a long time. Then in verse in chapter 12, Abraham is chosen by God. What did Abraham do to be saved? Nothing. Abraham was a pagan. Did nothing. God chose him. And then he had a son. They promised Abraham I would choose your son through Sarah, but he had another son, Ishmael. He didn't choose Ishmael. He chose Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the eldest. He picked Jacob. In fact, even the New Testament talks about God, you know, Esau, God hated, and Jacob he loved. Didn't mean, when he says hated, it doesn't mean hate the way we do. It means that because Esau was rebellion against God, God has rejected Esau. But he chose Jacob. Didn't have to choose Jacob. Chose to, chose to choose Jacob. Then he went and he got Moses. What did Moses do to be chosen? Nothing. He was just a baby. Didn't do a thing. God chose him. What did David ever do? Did David kill Goliath? No. God always chose David. Always God chooses. Saul had a chance to be an unbelievable king. But Saul rebelled against God. He rejected the opportunities God gave him. And said, no, I want nothing to do with it. God, I'm going to do it my way. So always we rebel against God. In always, that is our choice. But to be saved is not our choice. It is God's. Now, we struggle sometimes, but we shouldn't. Because as a follower of Jesus, it's humbling for me to know that God chose me to be saved. And I praise God and say thank you all the time. Thank you, God. You know, I think of what I've done in my life. Thank you, God. And here's the other thing. Because I've been saved, I'm going to go help other people come to Christ. I don't, I don't think in terms of that person is going to be saved and that person is not. That person is predestined for salvation. That person is predestined to be lost. It never enters my mind because that's not a biblical teaching. Being, the idea that someone is predestined to be lost is not a biblical teaching. It's the figment of the imagination of a fallen people. You've got to quit thinking that way. We rebel against God. He chooses to save us. So I'm going to preach the gospel. So that through the preaching of the gospel, God may choose to extend grace and faith to someone and they may accept that or they may reject that. I don't know. It's not my call. That's between them and God. 
Now, I know there's all sorts of systems out there, and I know people love Calvin or don't love Calvin, and half the stuff that's attributed to John Calvin, Calvin didn't even teach. So I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. I know people get all been out of shape in Baptist life. I deal with this. I've been in meetings where people just go all in the town on that, and I'm like, what in the world are you guys doing? I, mean, I, I, I understand, and I have... I'm, a, I'm very reformed in the way that I think. I like a lot of, I agree with Martin Luther and John Calvin. I really do. I just do. I agree with what they taught, not what people said about them, but what they did. Because that's what scripture says. They're just, they're just quoting Paul. They may systematize a little bit. I'm good with that. Had no issues. And so the thing that gets, people get hung up on is the concept then that some people don't have a choice. That their freedom God forced them to be saved. God never forced anyone to be saved. Never forced anyone to be saved. Think about Abraham just for a moment. Abraham, and he had a nephew named Lot. And with Lot, Abraham gave Lot a choice. And Lot made bad choices. But God didn't give up on Lot. And when he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham pray that God would spare the righteous, which to say Lot was righteous is a little bit questionable, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt because the New Testament does. But what did they do? They went and they brought Lot and his wife and his daughters. And on the way out, what did Lot's wife do? She turned and looked back. She had salvation in her grasp. And she rejected it. God did not force her to be saved. And we need to understand that. It doesn't make anyone get saved. It doesn't make anyone get lost. But he doesn't let us make the choice about our salvation. So I know there's a whole lot more involved in that. But I choose not to go any further. <laughs> and I'm by no means predestined to do it. But I exercise that option. Partly because I want to go spend a little bit of time with the Iwana kids. Because I'm still their pastor too. And their pastor wants to go see what all they're doing. So I hope that's helpful. If not, you're more than welcome. Not now, but another time. Talk to me about it. You can set an appointment. And I'm happy to talk to you about it as well. God bless you. And uh, I'll see you later.